0: Alright, last Sunday of the year and we are going to keep plowing through 2 Peter. We took a little break from 2 Peter uh, but now back into it as I believe really ending the year and heading into a new year uh, this, this theme from 2 Peter 3 really fits right in here. We've been looking at the overall theme of persevering in hope. Uh, Peter uh, wrote to his his beloved ones, there in First Peter, to abound in hope, and then Second Peter, uh, charging them to persevere in hope, looking for that second coming of the Lord, being careful to be discerning against false prophets and false teachers that would want to derail what God was doing along the way, but rather to stay focused and have those eyes that would be looking for His coming and lives that would be intent on living for His cause. As we get started here this morning, I don't know about you, this time of year, uh, the Christmas time, the New Year's, uh, there's always uh, a a lot of emotions and a lot of uh, family traditions and various things. And it's a fun time of the year, generally, it's supposed to be anyway. And um, uh, for, for some of us, maybe you have certain Christmas movies you like to watch this time of year. Uh, I I was thinking about it this year, how many movies this time of year are about belief and believing, Um, but they're all trying to get me to believe in Santa Claus. Now, no offense, uh, we we dismiss the kids across the hall, so uh, maybe I won't get in too much trouble here, but um, I remember when I was a kid, we were watching uh, some Christmas movie marathon, and my mom got up with a huff. And she said, if I have to sit through one more movie telling me to believe in Santa Claus, I'm going to lose my Christmas spirit, okay? <laughs> and uh, I thought that this year. I said, well, you've got to be kidding me. You know, there's something in us that wants to believe in something. There's something in us that needs to believe in something. Uh, and it's interesting how so many of these Hollywood scriptwriters get a lot of it Close to right, they just got the wrong object. Uh, They've got everybody getting hopeful and anticipating and excitement and and so forth and, and working toward faith, but they don't really know the story. There's really, there's a lot of Christmas stories, and you've got your favorite, but there is only one Christmas story that is the story. All the others are knockoffs. All the others are second-rate, and all of them fall so short of the story, which is about the babe in the manger who came to save the world. And in his coming, he lived and died and rose again and is coming again. And you and I who are here and waiting for that day aren't just sitting around, we are anticipating with excitement and hopefully some joy and enthusiasm about what Jesus is going to yet do. And as certain as his first coming was, his second coming is also. We have more than some sappy sentimental, believe-in, whatever fairy tale. We have an opportunity to believe in a Bible promise, a biblical reality. You know, this time of year also is a time of year that inspires hope simply because of the new year. There's something magical about Christmas time and New Year's time, and for some reason... When the calendar turns over, we get a new lease on life. At least we think we do. I can lose that weight. I can get that job. I can make that money. I can ditch the habit. I can finally start loving my spouse or whatever it may be. It's the new year when the clock turns, you know, uh, 12 o'clock, midnight. There's something going to happen. This is the year. And so many people celebrate it and look forward to just the simple idea of newness. But you know, there's nothing special about newness unless Jesus makes you new. Otherwise, it's just like some of the stuff we got on Christmas Day that's already broken <laughs> one week later. It's new and it's great. You know, a brand new white carpet is great until your kid puts that muddy shoe, and then it's like, welcome to reality. <laughs> now it's mine. Uh, now it's real, right? You know, we have so much more that Peter wants to stir our minds to through his word this morning, through the Holy Spirit's help in Second Peter chapter three. There is something to believe in, and there is something new. But it's not just a fairy tale, and it's not just something new, it's the newness that God gives through His Son. In review, we saw, actually, we should read the text first, and then we'll review. So we'll dive into verse 11. It says, "'Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness?' An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. I'm glad even Peter acknowledged that. I don't feel so bad. "...which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other Scriptures, unto their own destruction. Yea, therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ." To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. We won't be able to cover all of those verses today, but I wanted to read all of them at least. Lord, help us as we look at Your Word. And I pray that You would guide us to the necessary applications that would help instruct our hearts to be living in these days effectively. In Jesus' name. Amen. God wants us to look for His coming and to be living for His cause. Uh, in the first few verses, by way of, <clears throat> of just uh, review here, he stirred up our minds through remembrance. Uh, in the first verse, the second epistle, Beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. He stirred them up to remember their relationship. He stirred them up their remembrance concerning the Scriptures. Uh, if we would remember the Scriptures, it would help us going forward Uh, He stirs up their remembrance concerning just some things that have already happened in history and concerning the reality of God's eternal His eternality and the character of God. And all of this was to help encourage them. God knows what he's doing. He's not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but his long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so he stirs up their remembrance and, and then encourages them to stand their ground with resolve in the face of the ridicule, the scoffing, the mockery, those that would come and say, where is the promise of his coming? Where is the promise of his coming? Everything's just the same as it always was. He says, you, I've stirred up your minds concerning what you know, now stand. And then we get to verse 11. And he wants to encourage us concerning a couple of unseen realities. Two unseen realities are presented in this text that are supposed to motivate men and women of faith. They're supposed to, anyway. These two realities are the final end and judgment of this earth and the coming certainty of a new heaven and new earth. Both of these things take place after the coming of the Lord, after His second coming. One thing is for sure from Peter's writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, one thing is most certain, the future coming of the Lord is to have a present impact on the way we live our lives. And I think for many Christians, I have to say, it it does not have the impact that it should. And I will even definitely go as far as to say for myself. There's often times, days go by, but I do not think Jesus could come today. Jesus could come today. And I say that to my own shame. We as Christians are to be living daily, moment by moment, with the, uh, the reality that His return is imminent. All the business that we conduct, it is, well, I'm going to go through these steps because I don't know how long I'll be here, but Lord willing, we'll do this or do that. Lord willing, I'll buy this or buy that. Well, I'm going to hold it loosely, open hands to the Lord. My heart's not tethered here. I'm working here, living here, eating here, sleeping here, but my heart is there. Now, we don't need to be foolish, sell everything, and go stand on top of a mountain in white robes waiting. We might get hungry, and we might get cold. God never told us to do that, and there are some Christians who have done that, and unfortunately uh, hurt their faith and caused, caused all kinds of distress to their families. No, Peter wasn't asking them to do that. He was asking them to live in the world that they, in the world that they were in, and and to function and to thrive, but to do all that they do with the certainty that Jesus is coming. And that was to motivate motivate how they lived their lives. We're to be looking for his coming and that should help us to be living for his cause. Three things quickly here this morning. Number one, The second coming motivates godly living. The second coming motivates godly living. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? (laughs) Seeing then means, he's, he's saying you and I already acknowledge this or having seen this, having acknowledged this, hopefully agreed together that this is how it's going to be, if this, then this. Something should follow if you believe that he is coming. And it is clear, seeing then, that all of this world is going to pass away, what kind of a person should you and I be? In all manner of lifestyle, holy, set-apart, godly. God's people know, or at least they should know, if they read the Word, God's people know that life is not about the here and now, it's about eternity. While we live in the here and now, we do not live for the here and now. There's a big difference. This keeps us from getting overly stressed when the here and now goes upside down. This keeps us from jumping out of a window when the stock market, you know, does whatever it does that we wish it wouldn't do. This keeps us tethered to God's peace and grounded when there's family struggles and there's disappointments and heartaches. God's people have a higher calling, and the second coming is to motivate us. Looking for and hasting unto the coming day of the Lord, wherein the heavens shall be on fire, shall be on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. This passage has many parallel passages in Scripture. The Holy Spirit gave us these truths multiple times through multiple human instruments, and multiple uh, time frames. You go to Revelation 21, in verse 1 it says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. What are the former things? It's all all the stuff that we deal with now. Pain, suffering, disappointment, sin, grief, guilt, shame, all of these former things, death, sorrow, will be passed away and God himself will be with them. And you ought to read the rest of that passage on your own. Get to Revelation 21, just read through that all the way down. And those who are found written in the Lamb's Book of Life will inherit this reality, the Bible says. What are we living for as Christians? Every now and then we've got to remember <clears throat> when we're mowing the lawn, when we're building the house, when we're enjoying God's creation, just remember all of this will be re- dissolved. And there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. And we can certainly enjoy what we are given now, and we should enjoy it to the glory of God, giving Him the praise. But don't get your heart tied up down here. The Bible tells us that no man that warreth entangleth himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please Him that has called him to be a soldier. It's a tough balance. Jesus prayed for us to have this balance in John 17. That's his high priestly prayer. And he prayed, Lord, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but I pray you'd keep them from the evil of the world. I have sent them into the world, he said. And he prayed that God would give us the power and everything we need to be sent into this world and to be kept by him. To be the disciples that he left us here to be. All of this will be dissolved. God will make a new heaven, a new earth. God's people will be glorified. And what does all this mean? Well, this is supposed to motivate you. This is supposed to excite you. This is supposed to be truth that helps channel you in a given direction. We should be asking questions like this: why. What I want to be actively participating in that which will be so vehemently judged? In other words, why get all tangled up in the sins of this world when all of that is garbage and worthless and God's going to destroy it? If you want a good illustration of what is coming, God gave us that illustration in a little microcosm with Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot. That's a picture of of what it's going to be. And Lot got sucked in. He got pulled in. His family got pulled in. His wife got pulled in. And frankly, he was so far pulled in, if he hadn't gotten pulled out by the angels themselves, he would have perished. He did not walk out of there all by himself. It was God who pulled him out through those angels, and even then the heartstrings were tied to the world to Sodom so uh, so effectively that his wife had to get one last look, and that was it. We're to be motivated. As we live this life, to remember there is an unseen reality. Why would I want to live for that which will one day be burned up? And why would I not want to embrace right now the identity I'm going to have for all eternity? as a redeemed child of God, as one whose name is in the Lamb's book of life, as, as one who the, the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the, of the world loved me and gave himself for me, why would I not want to embrace that now? And why would I not want to please the one who came for me once and is coming for me again? It says that we, this should motivate how we live in all of our conversation and godliness. All conversation and godliness. What is what is a all holy conversation and godliness? What is that talking about? Well, we know holiness, it means to be sanctified or set apart. Set apart from the world, but set apart unto God. So we're to be living a life that is consecrated, set apart our whole manner of life. And it is to be godliness. Well, what is godliness? You don't have to think it too, too deep here. It's godlikeness. We were made in His image and we're to be living according to that image. Godliness. Now, you and I, we struggle because we have a flesh and there are temptations and there are discouragements and there are things that knock us down and, and things that start to chip away at our faith and sometimes it's like a sledgehammer comes to our faith. And we crumple under the load of whatever we're dealing with, and then we flounder, and then God in his mercy has to come and pick us up again. And I'm so glad that those angels came for Lot, and I'm so glad that he sent his angels so many times in my life to come for me and pick me up when I had no strength and pull me out of where I needed to be taken and to be set on the right path. Praise God for his mercy and his grace. But a question I think we need to ask, if we're honest, is knowing all of this, why is this still not motivating you? Why? Well, he talks about, in this passage, deceivers, right? Chapter two was all about the deceiving false prophets. We already went through that. Not gonna go back there, but all of chapter two beware. Chapter 3, he still continues in that theme. There are people who are going to deceive. And there are people who are going to mock and people who are going to say he's not coming and, and uh, where's the promise of his coming? It's not, it's not going to happen. Just You might as well live it up, pal. We, though, according to verse t- 13, are living according to what? according to his promise. And we have to be diligent to continue to keep looking or these things stop ringing true. Sometimes we allow ourselves to be deceived. 2 Timothy 3.13 says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We almost would think that, second, uh, that uh, Peter and Timothy talked to each other they got to writing well no the holy spirit talked to both of them and this is how it's going to be matthew 24 11 says and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many and because iniquity shall abound the love of many shall wax cold do you see what's happening the progression it's been happening for years and years and years and years and satan has only gotten more and more astute at what he's doing. False prophets arise, deception is proliferated, and though you may not be sitting at the feet of a false prophet himself, there's a trickle down effect. There's the false prophet, and everyone's like, oh, we're not with him. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, but he had an effect on this guy, who had an effect on that guy, who had an effect on these guys, and that's the guy that you love his podcast. And so there's little bits and pieces of deception that gets out uh, the way we do church, the way we approach God today with our carefree, careless, it's all about me, come as you are and leave as you came. I have no problem with coming as you are, but you're not going to leave as you came if you meet the Lord you came to see this me-first approach, this this entitlement approach, it's all about me, we begin to imbibe this subtle heresy of an egocentric Christian life. And if you believe the Bible, and if you believe Jesus, and if Jesus is your Savior, then he owes you certain things. And if he doesn't give me what I want, then you know what, I'm taking my business somewhere else. I'm an American, and, you know, the, hey, come on, I get what I paid for. I put, a, I put money in the plate or whatever, you know, I showed up three times this year or whatever it is, and we think God owes me something, and there's this deception that is getting more and more ground, and more and more Christians begin to um, speak this double talk, and now there's a lot of Christian talk. Christian talk, and air quotes here, it is not Bible talk, but because so many podcasters and so many preachers and so many Christians talk this certain, these certain catchphrases that now we just assume all these good people can't be wrong, and we begin to get this egocentric, self-centered idea of what Christianity is, and now you're going to start living for what? You're living for you and you're living for the here and now. And you wonder why. When people talk about looking for his coming, you don't like that. Because you're not done with you. I got plans. I got a life to live. I got, I got stuff to do. I got kids to raise and grandkids to see. And I got money to make and I got a career to do. And, and I don't want Jesus to come. Not now. Wait a minute. Where is that in the scriptures? Wait, is he really coming? Like I hope it's not today. Where is this? There's a lot of Christians who don't get excited about Jesus is coming. And if that is what your response is, let it be to you this morning a wake-up call from the Holy Spirit that you have imbibed somewhere along the way the deception that Peter was pouring his heart out about in this book. Yes, many false preachers shall rise and shall deceive many. And what happens next? iniquity will abound. That's the way it works. The deception becomes proliferated, and it gets worse and worse. And when we get this deception imbibed, now we are in a place of idolatry, self-serving, and once you're self-serving, now sin just happens. Because a self-centered philosophy of worship is a self-centered philosophy of life. People want God to do their business. They want church to be Burger King. Have it your way. Did I get that right? Was it Burger King or McDonald's? I think it's Burger King. Have it your way. Have it my way. And, and, and everything is my way. And don't you see how that just paves the way for sin? It just sets you on a direction for sin, and so, it says, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold, and there we are. Where's the love? Where's the warmth? Where are the songs about his coming again? I, I, I do. I've said this before. You've heard me say this before. One thing I like about the south is they sing about his coming all the time. Isn't that right, Brother John? I mean, you go to any Southern revival meeting, any Southern conference, and you will sing about Jesus coming back, song after song after song. And I love it when you look and the saints are pulling out their handkerchief and they're crying, and they're saying, yes, Lord, today, do it, come today. And I'll tell you, when those songs are being sung, it, there's a window right into our hearts. There are some people who are yearning, oh, Lord, come today. And there are others who are saying, I'd rather not right now. If you don't mind, Lord, I, I'm sure you, you're busy. You know, you don't, don't, no rush. I've got some stuff I still want to do. And for many of us, iniquity has abounded in our own lives The love of many has grown cold, and we have lost sight of his coming. It no longer impacts. And if it impacts at all, it impacts us with, (gasps) not now, not now. God's people must guard their hearts in these last days, and your heart, has got to be a heart that has sacrificed self-interest. Your your heart cannot be a a worship center for self. It's got to be a heart that is seeking the Lord. You're guarding your heart. Beware of teachers that would uh, pander to your lusts. That was 2 Peter 2, remember that? They take advantage of them because of their own lusts. They're able to spin people around and get them to do what they want. Guard your heart. This church may not be meeting all of your needs. You know what? You'll be okay. If you look to the Lord Jesus, God God will meet all your needs. And I want our church to meet all the needs that we can. That's my goal. Your marriage... May not be meeting all of your needs. Jesus still is the only one who can. There's a lot of things in this life that fall short. Jesus never falls short. God's people must keep their hearts guarded in these last days. God's people must seek the Lord Jesus intentionally and diligently. And God's people must not be easy on sin and compromise in their lives. you know that's what's going to happen. The love of many will wax cold because sin abounds and nobody really cares anymore. As long as it abounds everywhere and we're all in this together, they we'll all just say this is the new norm and we'll just call it good, and the love drains out and we stop looking for His coming, we stop living for His cause. We've got to go to Colossians 3 because this passage is such a great parallel passage right here. Colossians 3, 1 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, or you could say since. Since you've been risen with Christ. That's the idea there. Seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Get your eyes there. Read Revelation chapter 1. Get an idea of who he is. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Affection, that's the heart. Set your heart on things above, not on things of the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. Do you know why Paul talked about dying all the time? For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. He had all these verses about death because he had to reinforce this reality in his own life. He wanted to put his flesh to death. Ye are dead. Your life is hid with Christ and God. When Christ says, who, who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. This is good news. You're not supposed to get scared here. That, that was supposed to be happy. <laughs> That's supposed to encourage you. When he comes, we're going to be hid with him. We're hid with him now. You're going to appear with him in glory. So therefore, in this life, mortify, put to death, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry, for which sake, which for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. In other words, yeah, we're talking about all this stuff burning up and all this wrath. It is coming, and it's coming on people who are called the children of disobedience. Don't you ca- get caught up with that. "...in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them." He is making a differentiation. This is them. This is you. You were with them. Now you're not. He's trying to keep that separate. Uh, He says, "...but now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, uh, blasphemy..." Filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. This is good stuff. In verse 12, again, he says, put on as the elect of God. You call yourself a child of God? You believe that you're saved? Then put on that which becomes a child of God. In other words, folks, this doesn't just happen automatically. He wouldn't have had to have been hollering all about that. I think he was hollering. I don't know. But he was writing at least. He wouldn't have had to go to all that trouble if this just happens. We are to be motivated that Jesus is coming. We are to be motivated that judgment is coming. We are to be motivated that right now in this day, he's left us here to do something for him, to make an impact. And we're not going to make an impact... If all, our, uh, 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 if all of us have this modus operandi of just blend in, don't ruffle feathers, just, just keep everybody happy, we've got to be willing, we've got to be willing to follow Him, whatever the cost. The second, the second coming should be motivating godly living. If it's not motivating godly living with you, perhaps you've allowed yourself to be deceived and you've, be, you've picked up some self-centered living that's now brought you into some sin and your heart has fallen in love with the world and grown cold to your Savior. Seek Him. Secondly, the second coming heightens expectancy. The second coming heightens expectancy. It motivates godly living, first of all, and it heightens expectancy. My kids have been counting down the days to Christmas for a long time. How about yours, Pastor CJ? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I can ask my kid anytime, how many days? 28. How many days? 16. Until, that fast. They have these little calendar things and you, uh, on the day you open it up and you have a little candy thing, whatever. I never had those as a kid. We had to use fingers and toes, man. And there was no candy. Um, but counting down the days, you know what, folks? We don't have it marked in the calendar. So we can't count down the days, but there ought to be an expectancy and an anticipation and an excitement. And it ought to encourage us to keep going. When you're dragging your wagon and you have nothing left, then just take the next step because you know he's taking one to you and you're going to meet him. Second coming heightens expectancy. God's people have always been expected to be on watch. You can see that through the whole Bible. A believer is someone who is on watch. From the prophets, Ezekiel, Isaiah, to the parables of Jesus, you've got watchfulness as an expected characteristic of a Christian. Look at verse 11. You've got seeing. Verse 12, looking. Verse 12, hasting. Verse 13, look. Verse 14, look. You've got this this theme. All right, seeing. Verse 11, seeing how? How do we see this? By God's Word, through faith. Verse 12, looking. This indicates our focus, that we have a honed perspective Verse 12, uh, again, hasting. I like this word hasting because it has the idea of running to because of an excitement. On, on a Christmas morning, my kids got up and all barreled toward the, the room with the presents. Why? What's the big deal? And I told them that they couldn't enter until a certain time because you're not going to wake mom up. So I'm telling you, they had the time, they're right at the door, and, boom, and they come. Hasting to, there was no fear or dread. This is good stuff. And that's how we're to live our life. This indicates the excitement and joy that we have about the second coming. Verse 13, uh, look indicates a present condition. We're to be actively looking. Verse 14, it's, it's a command. Look there is, is a command. Uh, let me look at that again. Verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look, all right, that, that's uh, ongoing, then be diligent that ye may be found. Um, uh, th- uh, sorry, of uh, him in peace without spot and blameless. Yeah, we're going to come back to that in a minute. But. Uh, We are are expected to look, we're commanded to look for His coming. So why is this so important? What's so big a deal about watchfulness? Well, it signifies something or some things. Watchfulness signifies faith. Faith is the very definition of expectancy or the expression of, of expectancy. If you believe in something, you look for it. Faith and expectancy go hand in hand. Without either one, you don't have the other. One of the greatest demonstrations of faith in Jesus Christ is watchfulness. If you're trying to witness to your neighbors, if you're trying to witness at work, if you're trying to witness to grandma and grandpa, but there's no watchfulness in your life, in your lifestyle, it undermines your witness. Hey, Jesus is coming, you better be ready. And then you live as though he's not. You ignore him. You have no seeming relationship with him. No, that's not going to help demonstrate your faith. You may live with words in your mouth, but until there's watchfulness in your life, your faith will be seen as weak. The lost world is impacted by a faith that lives according to unseen realities. I think of Noah. Was Noah watchful? Was he looking? Oh, absolutely he was. Was he seen as a man of faith? Absolutely. Even in his day, they knew he was a man of faith. That he was a crazy man of faith. But you can't deny the guy's got faith. He's looking forward to something. The guy's building a boat. A huge boat. Anybody been to the Ark encounter? Anybody? Several of you, got to put it on your list if you haven't been there. Just the size of it. And you stand there going, this is the size that it was. This is crazy. Can you imagine building that and people coming around with their smartphones? They had those back in the day. (laughs) We'll never know. It's all all underwater. They might have had them. You never know. Uh, That might be why every imagination... No, anyway. Uh, But uh, uh, it's, 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 it's this huge monstrosity. And he was a preacher of righteousness, the Bible says. Preaching by faith... Concerning things he'd never seen. Watchfulness is an expression of faith. Also, readiness. Faith responds with readiness. Faith will prepare, right? Expectancy encourages readiness. Uh, Faith anticipates. And you, uh, you saw that word hasting, and, and we're moving towards something. I don't have time to go here right now, but uh, in Matthew 25, you've got a great passage about those who are ready versus those who weren't. Those who are watchful those th- against those who were not. You have the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25. <clears throat> I'll let you go there on your own time. But some of them, they got sleepy, they got tired, and their lamps went out, and... They weren't ready, and the bridegroom came and went, and they were left out of the picture. This is a parable that we're to, we're to apply this. God wants us to be watchful. He wants us to be ready. Uh, Matthew 25 goes on, and you have the parable of the stewards right after the parable of the, uh, the ten virgins. In that parable of the stewards, you've got guys who had faith, who went out and invested that which they had been entrusted And both the first two guys doubled their investment. The third guy, he didn't have faith for that. He took it the the careful route. He dug a hole, buried it. And he found out he was not ready when his Lord returned. Watchfulness implies faith. It implies readiness. Expectancy also encourages our faithfulness. Because... I believe he's coming. I want to be faithful. It reinforces the faithfulness to keep going. The faithfulness when I am totally discouraged, totally tired, totally overwhelmed. I believe he's coming back, and I'm not going to let him come back and find me quitting. Not by the grace of God. There are times, folks, where all of us want to quit. Me, too. There are times when all of us have absolutely nothing left. That's where you just pray and ask God to help you keep taking the next step of faith and infuse in me, Lord, the strength that I need for the next step of faith and that faithfulness, God will reward it. But what did Matthew 25 say? He praised them for their faithfulness. We need to be faithful to witness till he returns, faithful to love our family and our spouses till he returns, faithful to our church and to our communities and to our ministries until he returns. But I'm not seeing any fruit, but it's just not working. Oh, it's not worth it. Do you want to tell all that to him when he returns? No. Then keep being faithful. And the way I define faithfulness is not just, just be faithful Faithfulness is full of faith. That's what real, real faithfulness is persisting in faithfulness. All right? Sometimes we, we define faithfulness as persistence and unbelief. You don't have to worry. You don't have to try. You don't have to believe anything. Just keep going through the motions. Just keep going through the motions, and God will reward you for your faithfulness. I don't believe that's faithfulness. No, faithfulness is you taking steps of faith, even if they're itty-bitty. And you just keep taking those steps of faith faithfully until He comes. Faithful because you believe He's coming. Do you have expectancy? Are you watching? Do you have anticipation and excitement about His return? Are you ready? You know, uh, the prophets told us if you're a watch. If you're on watch and you don't blow the trumpet, you got blood on your hands. We're watching for His coming because we believe and we're faithful with what He's left us to do because He's coming. Thirdly, the second coming inspires diligence. So the second coming is to be motivating us. How? It motivates our godly living. It heightens our expectancy and watchfulness and it inspires our diligence diligence let's see it here in uh, verse 14 wherefore beloved seeing that ye look for such things be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless and account that the long suffering of our lord is salvation even as our brother paul also wrote all right be diligent What do we we be diligent in? It says, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Diligence, first of all, to be found of him in peace. And the key words there are of him in peace. Those are a lot of key words. Diligence is a key word too. To remain in peace most certainly requires diligence, folks. Peace can be the most elusive pursuit of your life. There's a lot of millionaires and billionaires that don't have it because money cannot buy it. Money usually complicates it. The Bible says the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep, will not allow him to sleep. But the, the poor guy who's just working a daily job the, laboring, the, the sleep of the laboring man is sweet. He's like, hey, I paid my bills today. I'll sleep and we'll try it again tomorrow. You know, peace can be so elusive. How do we find peace? By being diligent to rest in him. Be diligent to rest in him. Be diligent to remember his promises be diligent to cast out other dependencies. Be diligent to cast out doubt and unbelief. Being diligent to embrace our true identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is so much in this world that, uh, that absolutely uh, uh, seeks to obliterate our peace. I definitely went through some of this after COVID where I, I really struggled with my own peace as there was uncertainties and difficulties. And I went back to my college notes, pastoring through a pandemic and couldn't find anything there of any help, <laughs> uh, you know, and all of the different things that we dealt with. I, I really had a time, a season of turmoil in my life, and it was, it was discouraging to me because I thought, I'm supposed to have peace in these times. Jesus Christ comes alive in these times. Why am I missing out now? It was a great time for me to re-examine my own life, rebalance some things, deal with some things, and really be diligent to seek him. Diligent to get back into my head who he is. What does his character say about him? What about his promises? I went through... Quieting a noisy soul again on my own. just And I think our church went through that recently. Uh, just getting back into the character of God because as you get grounded in him and you're totally secure in his arms, you have peace regardless of what's going on. You're going to need some diligence there. Be diligent to be found of him in peace. Be diligent to be found of him in spotlessness and blamelessness, the Bible says. Well, it seems like we're circling back to the first point. Wasn't the first point motivating godly living? And now we're back to spotlessness and blamelessness. It kind of seems like we're coming back around. Well, yeah, we are, I guess. Spotlessness is the idea of keeping oneself untainted. James exhorts us to keep ourselves unspotted by the world. James 1.27, pure religion and undefiled before God. And the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Hey, there's a lot of world all around us, and there's a lot that we can do nothing about. You can't keep the world pure. You can't keep the the world clean. And Jesus sent us into the world, so as we get out in this world, you're going to get splattered. What do we do? What do we do with this? Well, Liberty Road, where I live, when it's raining all the time as it has been, it is a mud hole. Actually, there's lots of mud holes because all the potholes, you know, fill in with mud. And I don't know why Liberty Road has not been paved. I have an Ann Arbor address. I better stop, all right? <clears throat> okay. I better just stay focused here, but I go out to run in the morning with my dog, and we get spotted, splattered, tainted, and some of the folks slow down, and others, I'm convinced, speed up. They're like, oh, this guy here, (laughs) oh, a big old pothole, here we go, you know, it is what it is, I've got a whole running outfit, I just, I hang it up mud and all. I don't care. We're going to get muddy tomorrow. Uh, Hose down the dog. But what do you do in a situation like that? You stop running. You never go outside. No, you have to be diligent about a process. All right? What does this look like? Well, we've got a preventative process, and we've got a restorative process. First of all, we can try to keep ourselves preventatively from getting spotted. So sometimes when the road is really, really muddy, I run in the grass. That can be hazardous to your health too, but usually it's sometimes better than the road. There's some things that I do to try to keep it to a minimum, but still you cannot keep it completely away. So preventative is good, but you also have to have a plan for the restorative. We must assume that there's going to be some splatters if we're out doing the work of God, if we're interacting with sinners, if we are engaging people with the gospel. And so we have to have a commitment to regularly wash. And don't allow these things that you see and hear and come in contact with, don't don't allow those things to be owned by you. You may see some things and and, and, and even um, be in in the presence of things in this world that you don't like, you want no part in. And sometimes those of us who have sensitive consciences will say, Oh no, I've been tainted, I've been soiled, God hates me now. Oh no, what do I do? No. Don't embrace that. That's not you. You 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 uh, you leave that with the Lord. Uh, we keep coming to him. Let, let me give you this, this, this example. We have a lot of medical ex- examples, uh, sorry, medical personnel here. And they go to the hospitals all the time. We have nurses, we have doctors here in the church. They're in the hospitals all, the, all day long with sick folk. They take some preventative measures, certain gear they wear, things that they do. But they also take some restorative measures. They wash hands, they put away scrubs. They do all kinds of things. There's a lot of things that our medical professionals do to keep from bringing sickness home and to keep themselves healthy. It's just part of the deal. They're going in with a job. What can we do? Well, first of all, let's make sure that we are on the job. Uh, If you just go to a hospital and sit around, just playing cards with all the people in the COVID-19 unit, Okay, that's probably not a good idea. But if you go there on mission and you're ready and engaged and you're suited up and you've got the whole, the whole um, protocol that you're following, now you're in a better situation to handle it. <clears throat> but we need to be committed to, as Christians, who are looking for His coming, listening for His call, living for His cause. We've got to be committed to daily Washing off the spots. The Bible says in Proverbs twenty eighteen, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh shall have mercy. Confess, forsake, and have mercy. That's assuming that you got into something you shouldn't have. <clears throat> walk into light, the Bible says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful words of darkness, but rather reprove them. If you walk in the light, you have fellowship with the Father. Uh, we've talked about th- these verses uh, the last couple of weeks. Hate that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Flee also youthful lusts. You've got so many principles in the Bible that are, 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 are in, telling us to engage in this fight. Fight the good fight of faith. We need to be diligent about nurturing our own godliness and blamelessness because we are we are... Uh, told to uh, help someone who's overtaken in a fault, but we're also told to consider ourselves. We're also told to hate the garment that's spotted by the flesh, right? There's a balance here. And so many Christians have lost their effectiveness because they were not diligent in this area. The second coming should inspire diligence, diligence to be found of him in peace diligence to be found of him in spotlessness and blamelessness. And I want to make this point clear. Our spotlessness and our blamelessness comes from being found of him, in him. The process of the daily uh, walking with the Lord and, and daily talking to God and confessing and washing, as I said, is not a matter of me trying to improve my righteousness. I already have his positional righteousness. I'm just daily coming to him to keep my relationship with him clean and open and stay close with my Savior. Sometimes the diligence required here to be found of him in spotlessness and blamelessness is a diligence, really, of faith to believe that I really have his righteousness. To believe that he really does love me despite the stuff I've picked up along the way. Diligent to believe that I have been found of him and I have his righteousness. Folks, Jesus is coming, but I gotta ask you, do you believe it? Do you believe it? When people rub shoulders with you, do they get that sense of urgency, that sense of expectancy, anticipation, that you're about your father's business, but you're looking forward to when he calls you or when he comes to get you. Jesus is coming, but we need to believe it. Don't allow the deceivers to get you living for this life, living for yourself. Life is short, so the question is, who are you living for? This world would say, life is short. you got to live for yourself. You only go around once. Well, we don't believe you only go around once. We believe that we just, we just keep going around for eternity. We've got eternal life. And we're living for Him and for His pleasure and for His glory. Life is short, so let's live according to the, re- the eternal identity that we have in Christ. And one final reminder, sin is destructive. Sin is destructive. Is it worth it? Is it worth it, friend? You know, this is the time of year where people will say, I'm going to lay down my bad habits in the new year. We're going to do it this time. It's going to happen in the new year. Uh, We're going to talk about that tonight, by the way. Come back tonight. We'll have a little New Year's encapsulation of going after some of these thoughts. And so much of our life, we look forward to future realities without acknowledging the the, the only thing that makes the future reality worthwhile is who I'm depending on in that future reality. I need Jesus. I need His power. And so many of us Don't recognize that that which Satan is doing in our life is not just crippling us and our effectiveness. He's trying to cripple a generation, our kids, our grandkids, our churches, so that no one would be living and looking to him. Is it worth it? May we be looking for his coming and living for his cause. If God gives us another year, I trust that we'll be faithful to keep looking to Him. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Would You just work in our hearts now as we look to You. I pray that we would be willing to deal with sin and willing to diligently look to You once again. With heads bowed and eyes closed, just a moment. We'll take an opportunity for you just to talk to the Lord. If God's dealing with you about your need this morning, would you take a moment and respond? Way, I'm gonna have Pastor CJ come and pray. Let me encourage you with this. Um, so, this is the night of the year that everybody brings in the new year and doesn't remember it in the morning. And we've got a church here of people of all kinds of walks of life and all kinds of backgrounds. And one reason we do a New Year's Eve service is to give an opportunity for an alternative. And uh, I know you may have plans. Whatever your plans are, if your plans take you someplace else, tonight, wherever you are, whoever you're with, whatever the party is, you're a Christian who needs to be looking for his coming, living for his cause. And you can make an impact if you're with family, and and you can make an impact if you will be diligent. But you can also undermine in a great way the witness that God wants to, 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 to make your life, the impact he wants to have in your life can be shattered. Even just tonight. Uh, if you have a, a struggle, I want to encourage you come to Ann Arbor Baptist Church 6 o'clock, stay all night. It'll be great. We'll have... Water and water, ice water, okay? Um, but if you, if you are needing to be with family, take a stand and be that one who will, who will give the testimony that I'm bought with a price. I'm looking to another reality. I'm looking forward to Jesus coming. All right, well, I'm gonna have Pastor C.J. pray tonight at six. If you can be back, be back. If you are with family... Have a great time. Let's be looking for his coming, living for his cause. Pastor C.J. Pastor, would you stand as we close our service in prayer? (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God that we heard today about the coming of Christ. We look forward to it with anticipation. Help us to live accordingly so that others can see and glorify you in heaven. Lord, bless the close of this year and the coming new year. And Lord, whatever the time of year, help us to keep you at the center. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you. God bless. We'll see you tonight.